0: From our studios in the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans, this is Louisiana Eats. I'm Poppy Tooker. Businesses open, businesses close, but some businesses manage to come back from calamities of biblical proportions. On this week's show, we learn what it takes to rebuild a beloved brand after a long hiatus. First, we hear from Drew Ramsey, whose family has run Hubig's, makers of New Orleans' favorite hand pies, for three generations. At least they did, until a fire destroyed their factory in 2012. But like a fried phoenix rising from the ashes, Hubig's is back in business after a 10-year hiatus. And 17 years after Hurricane Katrina nearly ended his family's legacy, Vance Vaucresson has brought three generations of sausage making traditions back to the 7th Ward. We learn about the struggles Vaucresson Sausage Company faced before and after the storm, and its long road to recovery. Not only are the Vaucressons back, but they're growing. Julie Vaux the Creole Sausage Queen herself, reveals the story of how their new mustard line came to join their family's revered brand. Fire, flood, nothing can keep a true New Orleans food tradition down, on this week's Louisiana Eats. listen. For generations of New Orleanians, that's the sound of good things to come in the form of a Hubig's pie. Simon Hubig, or Simon the Pie Man, as he was known, originally opened his New Orleans pie factory in 1921, and locals immediately developed an insatiable appetite for his sweet treats. So much so that to celebrate the company's anniversary in 1928, Hubigs ran a newspaper ad thanking the city for having consumed more than 25 million pies in just seven years. That's nearly 10,000 pies per day. We really like those pies. Whether it's apple, lemon, sweet potato, chocolate, or a variety of other flavors, everybody's got their favorite. The sugary goodness of that little fried pie that gets us through grocery shopping. Eases the ride home after a long workday, or becomes the perfect midnight snack. Tragically, New Orleanians' love affair with Hubick's pie was halted abruptly in 2012 when a fire destroyed the company's factory located in the historic Faubourg Marigny neighborhood, just downriver from the French Quarter. All seemed lost, but New Orleanians are a people of faith, and their prayers were answered when that familiar rapper bearing the image of Simon the Pie Man was spotted at the annual Poor Boy Festival in 2022. Drew Ramsey, whose family has run Hubix for three generations, is here to tell us how they managed to do the almost impossible, resurrect a business that had been gone for a decade. Drew, it's been a long 10 years, Chum.
1: It has been a journey, and I really appreciate you inviting us back.
0: Oh, you don't know how long I have been waiting for this day. I think you know, Lord, all the sad times we had together back in 2012 when the fire happened. And for those who might not know, would you give me, like, just a little brief recap of what happened?
1: It was July 27th
0: in 2012 july 27th
1: 2012 we were um not making pies that day it was supposed to be a cleanup day um the the cooker is lit to clean it it, it is lit to drain it and filter and clean it and um it uh, it flashed it was uh it was a combination of a poor design and an inadequate fire suppression system. And there was some human error involved, but it, uh, there was obviously a fire. It was a devastating fire. The building itself did exactly what it was supposed to do. And it burned like a Roman candle, but we had fire bricks and we had the superstructure not tied to the fire brick. So it wouldn't collapse on itself. And a couple other design features, but it, it went straight up and it collapsed right back down on itself. And, I don't know. You know, it was terrible. I mean, it was absolutely devastating. It was earth shattering. It was life changing. But it, not one of our neighbors got hurt. Not one fireman. Uh,
0: nobody not, died.
1: Nobody. Not only nobody died, nobody got hurt. I mean, no employees, no anybody. We did do, we were in the middle of the middle of a block and we had a lot of neighbors. We touched almost every other piece of property in that whole municipal block and in the final analysis it was a, a thank God kind of moment but it it became very clear that we were going to have a great deal of difficulty building that many square feet with with all the new rules that we were no longer grandfathered into in the Marigny. Um
0: well let's so. talk about that Mary location because it was so iconic. What year was that facility built? How long had you been down there?
1: Well, the facility partially existed before we got there. Um, there was kind of a back building and a front turn new building, um, both of which were over a hundred years old. Uh, the new building was a hundred years old. Um, we were rapidly approaching our hundredth year in business at the time of the fire. Um, we were on a no uh, a no truck route. It was very very hard to get <laughs> yes, you know deliveries trucks. on a no truck route. So, it, but that building was where we. Had been for, we had been there for in excess of seventy-five years. The man himself, Simon Hubig, had come to New Orleans uh, after setting up his first shop in the Kentucky area, and then he set up another shop in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And by the time he got to New Orleans, that's where he was running his bakery out of the the New Orleans location. At the time of his death, he he had ten bakeries across the country. He was really quite an entrepreneur. He had what effectively was maybe you would call them franchises before that word was really in the in the American lexicon.
0: Isn't that incredible? Yeah. What a visionary. Yeah. And so your family acquires the business from well, him?
1: My grandfather came to New Orleans in the 40s with somewhat of a rare degree back then. Um, he had an MBA and he was allowed to, he was a bookkeeper. He was allowed to participate in the management of this uh new orleans location and he was allowed to buy into it and at the time of my grandfather's death he owned half of it with another gentleman that other gentleman did not have any children uh but he did have a nephew and that second generation of those two families were contemporaries that would be my father and and the um and the nephew of my grandfather's partner and i was the third generation of one of the two sides We had the fire in July of 2012, and my dad and I absolutely wanted to pick up the pieces and go forward, and that's when the—all I can say is we were not in harmony with the insurance company and um, the time, energy, effort, family, treasure that it was going to take to redo what we had when really the news that we immediately got was you can't really redo what you had where you had it. Like, you have to— reinvent the wheel so that's that's what started us on the journey to get equipment and find a location it has been a journey it has absolutely been worth it but it was it was a journey
0: it's my guess most of the neighbors down in the marini probably missed you like you were they loved you you know you were such a part of the neighborhood and new orleans loves
1: you so we had a really good relationship with the police in the Maroni and uh, the neighborhood association and all of our neighbors. When when we went before the city council to try to rebuild at that location, our neighbors spoke on our behalf and said that they supported the the plans that we had submitted. Um, which which you know, in hindsight, I, I really wish that we would have been able to do that at that location, but. The city of New Orleans was very gracious. Uh, Surrounding parishes were very gracious. Uh, Every step along the way, uh, the parish presidents, St. Bernard, Jefferson, um, all the way up to Gramercy and Gonzales, people were very supportive, very, very supportive.
0: Well, it must have been such a bright spot just to have that overwhelming community love and support. But to reproduce what you had— That was necessary to make the pies that was a huge daunting thing explain about the machinery and what you had to do
1: we knew that was going to be a key to our success and the people was quite important and we stayed in touch with as many people as we possibly could Um, i'm telling you right now at the time of this conversation the gentleman making our icing has been making icing for Hubigs for forty years. Um, he knows what to do and how to do it, and that that's just a brief for example. There are other employees that have been there making dough, um, cooking the pies, wrapping the pies. Just we have a lot of former employees, and the experience that they bring is uh, it's very hard to put a a figure on that. It's it's just unbelievably, uh, important. And it's, it's truly appreciated by, by myself and, and my father, I know. And the machinery, which I think you asked about is equally, it was critical to me to duplicate what we had. We know it worked and that's what we were going to do. There's always, Oh, you can do a new and improved. There's always, Oh, you can make them faster or you can wrap them faster. We have this, whatever that can, that's better we wanted every step of the way it was based on authenticity and and there are a million little examples of me personally letting the good get in the way of the perfect but the pie machine that we are operating with the pie forming machine i bought from the grandson of the gentleman that my grandfather bought his first pie machine from. And, you know, it, it was that necessary? Well, to me it was. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, we used to sell a four-ounce pie. We sell a four-ounce pie. It is also identical truly in every way that you can imagine.
0: Do you want to tell us a little bit about your new location?
1: Well, it's, uh, we enjoy a Jefferson Highway address. We're practically um, under the the railroad tracks, it's uh, it's conveniently located for a lot of um, thoroughfares, getting onto the I-10, getting up and down Highway 90.
0: Those longtime employees, the army of them, you must be astounded, Drew, and they must be, when, when they walked into the factory and they could see those with the institutional knowledge, could recognize their former institution. Every what single one of
1: them said, "You know, we can work with this. We we know what to do. When when are we coming back to get this rolling?" And you know, we had to wait for the fire marshal's approval, and we had to wait for the the certificate of occupancy. We had to wait for all that just logistical bureaucratic stuff. But that all happened, and um, you know, we made we made pies, and the the support we got from the employees was very overwhelming emotional but the support that we got from the the people that showed up we we purposely <laughs> did not put on social media we didn't take out an ad we didn't say we're coming quite frankly i thought that was poor form we had been telling our loyal customers be patient wait trust us for too damn long and i i wasn't going to report any news until we had good news to report and trust us we're coming soon wink nod was that was done you know it it, it was radio silence and when we started the cell pies, uh you know we i like you know the build a better mousetrap sort of theory we we were welcomed back to our beloved city with open arms and we did ask our loyal customers to please support that which they cherish and they have and we again words fail to say how important that is to us our employees our suppliers which also we keep suppliers local local on a religious basis almost yeah Yeah. there's very obvious exceptions to that but when we can buy anything local we do period
0: When we return from a short break, Drew explains how so many of his experienced employees came back to work for Hubix ten years later. But first, New Orleanians think of Simon the Pie Man as the stout cartoon baker on the wrapper of their favorite fried hand pie. But what's the story behind that amazing, iconic character? We'll fill you in on the details when Louisiana Eats returns after the break. Hoppy Tooker, and you're listening to Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Louisiana Eats is brought to you with major support from Crystal Hot Sauce, now celebrating 100 years of hot sauce deliciousness. Always made with just three simple ingredients, aged red cayenne peppers, distilled white vinegar, and salt. Nothing artificial. Crystal Hot Sauce. Step out of the heat and into the flavor. From Rouse's Markets, synonymous with seafood, straight from Louisiana's waterways. Rouse's Markets tastes like home. And from Camellia Brand, Beans Done Right, a New Orleans tradition since 1923. Camellia is celebrating their centennial with innovations for today's lifestyle. Beans for two. If a bag of beans is too big for your family, Camellia's New Orleans-style red beans for two and Cajun-style white beans for two has everything needed for dinner in today's smaller households. Learn more at CamelliaBrand.com. Here's this week's culinary quiz question, brought to you with support from Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen. What's the story behind that amazing iconic character, Simon the Pie Man? Born in eighteen sixty in Newport, Kentucky, by the time he was six, he was baking bread for his widowed mother's fledgling baking business. By 15, He was bakery foreman in what had become the biggest bread business in town. In his mid-30s, Simon opened his own Hubig Pie and Baking Company, where he invented and patented a machine that could produce 30,000 pies per day, making his business the highest-producing bakery in the country. Simon also designed pie bags and crates that enabled his product to be shipped long distances. In 1910, the federal government called on Simon, inking a deal to replicate his 30,000 pies-per-day machine. It seems Uncle Sam wanted to provide fresh snacks for the men building the Panama Canal. Two years later, at age 52, Simon retired after selling his business to the F.O. Stone Baking Company. No one knows why, but half a decade later, Simon came out of retirement and went to work for the Stone Baking Company, opening branches in Texas. Then, in 1918, he once again became his own boss, establishing the Simon Hubick Company of Fort Worth, where he made pies for soldiers serving in World War I at Camp Bowie. Within a year, he had opened locations in Houston, Dallas, and San Antonio. In 1921, Hubig envisioned a national expansion that would start in New Orleans. At the time, he told the local newspaper that he chose the Crescent City because, I quote, new orleans appealed to him as a great pie consuming market he moved into the faubourg marini location where Hubig's pies continued to be made until the devastating fire in 2012. five years after opening his last bakery simon hubig died at the age of 66. three years later the Great Depression hit, eventually closing all Hubigs Texas locations. But the love of New Orleanians' favorite little fried pie kept the last Hubigs open. And now, after 102 years, the Hubigs pie still makes for some good Louisiana Eats. now, we continue our conversation with Drew Ramsey, third-generation proprietor of Hubick's Pies, about his decade-long journey to reopen the family business after the devastating 2012 fire.
1: I think we did a really good job of staying in touch with our former employees and our former suppliers. That, that really has been, I don't know if it's been the key to our success, but it has made a tremendous difference. I don't know how to say this without sounding braggadocious, but day one, minute one—I mean, the first batch of pies—I added it up for fun one day. We had we had something like 400 years' experience with the people that were involved in making the, making the first the, pies. The yeah.
0: pies again, which of course that finally happened for the Poor Boy Festival yes. last year. You all yes. surprised us. Yes. I have one curiosity: What in the world did those employees do for 10 years? True. Oh,
1: you know, we had about 40 employees at the time of the fire. And uh, again, the support that we got after the fire at that critical time was overwhelming. The the Donnie Rouse, for example, said, anybody who needs a job, send them over. Like, we'll find a home for them. And I appreciate that, and I'll never forget that. But that was not the only conversation like that. There were other organizations that said, you know, if your guy comes, we will welcome them. And, and when you rebuild, we will we will shake hands and part company friends because we know that this person wants to go make pies.
0: It is so rare to have lived to see this Hubix Pie mania. It was that exact same feeling when you came back at the Poor Boy Festival as the best surprise the city ever got.
1: We, we had an idea that we were going to be welcome back. But it was an absolute guess. It, it was just an absolute guess as to what magnitude, how many, how many units we needed to bring to the Pool Boy Fest, how many we needed to make in advance. Um, I just guessed. We, we made 10,000 pies for that day. And <laughs> we, we sold them. And we went <laughs> back to the bakery and got more. And well, you see, we make pies the day before uh, we sell them. So, you know, Sunday is a production day for a Monday sales day. They sold out lickety split. We went back to the bakery, got that day's production. that was supposed to go on the market. First day on the market. We told everybody like we're coming Monday and, um, we had to get those pies and bring them to the pull boy fest. And we, (laughs) (laughs) and we sold out of them, which was a wonderful feeling.
0: It was pretty crazy behavior in the stores, huh? You have some store stories for me?
1: (laughs) And we got – the store stories were also heartwarming, and I wish that there was – I wish there was more that we could have done about it. We – production was absolutely maximized, and um, stores were getting aggravated with us, and customers going to stores were getting aggravated with us, and – you know, I know they got a delivery, and they're keeping them behind the counter, and the, the <laughs> clerk, I know that clerk is taking them home to his family, and he's not letting me buy more than two, and I I I, I wish I could help you. You know, um, we we were letting people order pies online, and we had to shut that down a few days after we got started because, again, I thought it was poor form to continue to take orders when we knew we weren't going to be able to fill them in a, a reasonable time frame.
0: And let's talk flavor. So which flavors did you come out the gate with?
1: We only came out with apple and lemon. And I was just using history as a guide. And that's really the only thing I knew how to use as a guide at that point in time. The market research that I had done was decades of what our customers supported the strongest. So we came out with apple and lemon, period. 50% apple, 50% lemon. And... We satisfied most people. There were a lot of people who, where's the peach, where's the pineapple, chocolate, cherry, seasonal stuff? It's coming, it's coming. We we finally got our legs underneath us, and we came out with our chocolate, which hit the market strong, and the sales of chocolate are very strong.
0: That's been a fairly recent development. Yes,
1: that has been fairly recent. But we will be coming out with our pineapple. We already have chocolate our coconut, and normally we would add to the um, uh, menu a seasonal pie, which could be cherry or strawberry or blueberry, blackberry. I could see that easily coming.
0: I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, how is it looking for the next generation? Who's coming, Drew?
1: Well, I have two darling daughters who are, I mean, they're still they're they're still teenagers. So yeah, they've got a lot of uh, a lot of life to live, but um,
0: but they have a taste for Hubik's pies. Oh
1: yeah, they uh, <laughs> well it, they have a taste for Hubik's pies because my wife and I have kind of made them. I mean, we made them work the booth at the Po Boy Festival, and I am at least smart enough to know what I don't know, and I don't know what fashion teenage girls want, and you know, I our employee uniform my hands are in the air making bunny rabbit ears is a white (laughs) cotton t-shirt that says hubix on it that is not necessarily what uh teenage girls want they you know they want all kind of different stuff so my children are quite important in what other swag we might have i don't really involve myself in that very much i i focus on the pies and my my lovely wife and my children are the uh the fashion eastus
0: well we are some thrilled you're back drew thank you so much for being here and I can't wait to eat a pie with you sometime soon thanks
1: drew You're the best poppy Thank you
0: that was Drew Ramsey third-generation proprietor of Hubix Pies in New Orleans. To learn more, visit hubix.com. Coming up next we hear from both Vance and Julie Vaucresson about the revival of their third-generation sausage company. Like all the businesses in this week's show, Louisiana Eats will return after a break. I'm Poppy Tooker, and you're listening to Louisiana Eats. Edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Louisiana Eats is brought to you with support from Louisiana Fish Fry, now doing for chicken what they've always done for fish. Fried chicken tenders, wings, sandwiches, and more. Louisiana Fish Fry has you covered with a mix specially for chicken. Louisiana Fish Fry, because life needs... Louisiana flavor and from visit the North Shore discover world-class culinary flavors on the North Shore this summer experience the bounty of the bayou and rich culture from award-winning chefs soulful mom-and-pop restaurants extraordinary bakers and creative mixologists To learn more, request the Explore the North Shore Visitor Guide for inspirational stories, custom itineraries, and event information at visitthenorthshore.com. St. Tammany Parish, Louisiana's easy escape, just 40 minutes from New Orleans French Quarter. Vauquerasson Sausage Company is a family owned business with roots in New Orleans' 7th Ward, dating back to 1899. Vance Vauquerasson is the third generation owner and keeper of the historic family legacy, one shaped by an entrepreneurial spirit and resilience through unimaginable hard times. The largest setback came in 2005, when the floodwaters of Hurricane Katrina completely destroyed the family business. But with the opening of Vaucrasan's Creole Café and Deli in 2022, Vance has returned the family's sausage-making traditions back to the Seventh Ward, fulfilling a 17-year dream. With the return of the historic company, we look back on what it took to get here, not just the road to recovery after Katrina, but the many hurdles the family business faced before the storm. In 2019, Vance spoke at a panel discussion I moderated at Tulane University on entrepreneurship. He began by sharing tales of his father, Sonny, who up until his death in 1998, was a prolific New Orleans businessman.
2: My dad was uh, quite an entrepreneur. He went from business to business to business. He had a 24-package liquor store. He had a cigarette distribution company. He had um, the meat market. He had a real estate company. But then in the mid-'60s, he decided to partner with a guy named Larry Borenstein, who started Preservation Hall and they decided to open up a Creole restaurant at 624 Bourbon called Volperson's Cafe Creole. Now, the thing is, at the time, no person of color was allowed to have or had ever had a business post-Reconstruction on Bourbon Street. As you know, there's a lot of people in New Orleans that you look at, and you think they might be white, and you're like, wait a minute, or oh, what are they? Well, my dad had sky-blue eyes and just looked just like a white man. And he navigated the corridor, and no one questioned him when the time came up that they wanted to do this restaurant. When they went to open it, they had a, a, an organization called the Bourbon Street Merchants Association. I think it still exists today. They had a meeting at the Court of Two Sisters. And my dad went with Larry, and he sat at the table. And a gentleman who owned the business on Bourbon Street came and said, uh, hey, man, how you doing, Sonny? Everything's good? Oh, great, everything, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, he switched. He started looking around the room. And he says, where is he? And they said, what are you talking about? That nigga that's moving on Bourbon Street. He's gonna have our property values go down. Those people are gonna think they can come to our restaurants and do all of this type of stuff. So Larry looked at him and said, hey man, I know him. I'm gonna introduce you to him. He said, you know Sonny? He's like, yeah. He said, that's the nigga n- on Bourbon Street.
3: <laughs>
2: and the guy, my dad told me, he said, he turned red, 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 got up and left before the meeting started. My dad says, son, he says, I used to see him all the time. He says, he used to avoid me. He says, not because he was racist because at that point he was embarrassed because he knew me as a man. We stayed in the quarter for about nine years. Urban Street changed, the restaurant business changed. We sold it, moved out, went back and had our meat market. And then my dad got this big idea. I want to have a sausage processing facility. We struggled for a long time. And then finally they had a gentleman who had us, uh, the largest grocery store chain in the city, John Schweig. We finally got in Schweigman's, and then from there, we went to Wendixie, we went to Canal Villery, we went to uh, Sam's, we went to all of them and got in their stores. In that time frame, we had people who told us, we're going to put you all out of business. We had processors that said, oh, we'll put you out of business. All because we were a minority company. They didn't want us to come into those play areas to try to make and, and, and bid us out. The stuff they were doing, we knew it was illegal. And they did whatever they could, but we stayed. We had, we went so much debt. We had lines of credit maxed trying to compete just to float money to bid and bring all this stuff in. We just kept fighting. Eventually, they called us and said, we want to wave the white flag. We want to go ahead and say, look, you keep these, your products, and let us have the rest. I said, well, we're going to keep our products And we're going to take a few of the other ones just because you put us through this foolishness. Mm -hmm. And everything was good. And then Katrina hit. Mm -hmm. And the one thing that I learned is called crisis management. I had freezers full of product, and I was self-distributed. I don't know how I used to rent trucks. I was floating money. I had five insurance policies. One was flood. I didn't max it out. It was about 90,000. The National Flood Insurance Program, you could have got up to a half a million. All the other ones, once the storm was made to be a non-a flood, all of them said there's flood exclusions. So I couldn't collect on anything. I talked to so many people trying to get help, and I'm going to be honest with you. In New Orleans and in a lot of major cities, Black businesses are much farther behind in terms of access to equity, access to capital, and access to investors. It's not been afforded to the Black culinary talent in the city.
0: Following the storm, Vance moved to New Iberia, where he began the process of rebuilding the family business. Soon, he faced yet another tragedy, his cousin, who worked as his office manager and right hand for 14 years, took her own life. The future of the multi-generational company was becoming increasingly uncertain.
2: You know, after Katrina, I wanted to quit. It was too much. I didn't think I could do it. And then I'm sitting there and I'm in the country in New Iberia after the storm. I'm like, what am I gonna do, what am I gonna do? And I'll never forget, I got a call from Jazz Fest. Hey, we're gonna do the Jazz Fest. Are you in? I said, I don't have a place to make sausage. Well, see if you can find somewhere. So, went out and worked with a, actually a competitor. Told him what I needed to make. Filled up one of his coolers, And he told me, he says, man, I came that Monday after the first weekend of the fest. I said, there's no way he sold all that crap. And he never boxed have a box of the cooler. Mm-hmm. And I said, guess what? We gotta do it all again. Make it all this week for the next weekend. So I've been rebuilding this slowly but surely. Just did my festivals, Mm -hmm. kept doing that, kept my brand on there, out there. I'm not in the stores yet. Mm -hmm. I'm not in my own facility yet, but we're getting there.
0: That was Vance Bokrasan speaking with me in 2019 as part of a panel discussion on entrepreneurship. Two years later, Vance joined me via Zoom with exciting news. He was finally moving forward on his goal of opening a cafe and deli in the city's 7th Ward, the same neighborhood where his grandfather started the family business as a butcher in 1899.
2: What I'm about to do with this cafe and deli, I said, okay, I'm going to take two of our histories, which our restaurant on Bourbon Street and our sausage company and having a meat market in the seventh ward for generations. And I'm gonna merge the two. And that particular concept is actually relevant today. You've seen all of these small butcher shops and different people who are going back where this cycle is coming back. It's interesting, where we had a meat market in our neighborhood for years. My grandfather, my dad, my uncles. And then it faded away once like Winn-Dixie and Schweigman had these big meat markets. And it really killed a lot of those uh, individual markets. But it's like everything is cyclical. The new normal, which COVID has taught us so much in regards to doing business, we're making those adjustments as we plan to open. And we just hope to be able to uh, continue to be one of those stops when people come to town and they want to come in the neighborhoods and they want to eat the stuff from the locals and everywhere else that they come by and they get a little po' boy, get a smile, a story, maybe a song, and uh, leave them with uh, a little bit more understanding of what our culture is down here.
0: Vance Vocrasan, third-generation owner of Vocrasan Sausage Company, speaking with us in 2021. 17 years after Katrina nearly ended the family's legacy, the company finally returned to the 7th Ward in 2022. Bokrasan Creole Cafe in Delhi is now open at 1800 St. Bernard Avenue in New Orleans. Bocrason Sausage Company back in its brick and mortar form, it's expanding. Our next guest, who's been a part of the family business for many years, has been leading the charge. She joined us in the Louisiana Eats studios to tell us all about it. I'm Julie Vocrasan, the Creole Sausage Queen. Oh my goodness, royalty in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming to visit with us. How did you get to be the Creole Sausage Queen? You know, it just kind of evolved, and it's become
3: a moniker, and everybody in my house laughed at it. Now they're seeing it, and they see people, we're out in the grocery store, and they're like, hey, it's the Creole Sausage Queen. And I respond, (laughs) (laughs) ow. It's my alter ego.
0: You married into the dynasty, didn't you? I did. I married the sausage king of the seventh ward. So, Julie, how long have y'all been married, and and how do you come to this sausage business?
3: This year will be 22 years, and I can't believe it. It feels like like it's been all my life, actually. (laughs) But about right before the pandemic, took a leap of faith quit my job, and started working full-time, and then everything shut down.
0: You and Vance have opened up an iteration of Vaux Creole Cafe, a business that, of course, was your father-in-law's many years ago. He had on, on Bourbon Street. Right. And, you know, it was important to
3: us, and I think part of the reason why I left my job is that it's a family business, and there needs to be family present. And so now it's not just me. My kids are working with it as well. And so it was super important to us to continue
0: the tradition. Where does your creativity and the new directions that you've gone in, what's the origin of that? So I started doing recipes so that we could
3: enlighten our audience. And it kind of, it caught on. I started doing a cooking segment on Fox 8. Um, I did that for a few years. And then in addition to that, I said, what goes with sausage? Mustard. So I started a mustard and condiment line, and it's taken off.
0: Walk us through the development of your mustard line.
3: Well, when I had the idea, I thought it was going to be easy breezy. But I've learned so much about mustard, the seeds, Um, everything that goes into it. Um, After the Jazz Fest in 2019, I was doing all the book work and I looked at it. I said, we're ordering pallets and pallets of mustard. We should do our own. That way it would be a perfect complement to our sausages, but then standalone products as well. I I hired a food scientist, recipe developer to get me to a certain point because there is a reaction the way the mustard seeds react to cold or heat, or you know, that I wasn't familiar with. So I did invest in that. And then I took the flavor profile from there and tweaked it to get it to what I wanted it to be. And here we are. And I think I'm the only woman, African American woman, doing mustard. <laughs>
0: Well, rock on and look out, Mr. Zatarain. (laughs) I'm coming for you. So, Julie, walk us through your product line and all of the yummy things that you do with it. So the mustards, I'll start with um, our
3: gateway. That's what my staff calls it. It's our Creole green onion sauce. It's made with our mustards. Anybody that says they don't like mustard, you try this one. You're ready to try the next one. And it's really, we've had that one at the Jazz Fest for probably three years, and people kept raving about it. So we went ahead and got that one bottled. Um, We have a mango mustard sauce, perfect with our jerk chicken sausage. Then we have our perennial favorite Creole mustard, and you can use it on anything. We also have a Louisiana pecan. It was important to use local products, so... That one, um, it's it's a surprise. It's nutty. It's sweet. It's got a little spice. It's really, really a good mustard. We also have caramelized shallot and spicy mustard. You know, we're in New Orleans. We like spice. I see people come to the Jazz Fest and they douse their hot sausage in hot sauce.
0: So then you began developing recipes
3: with these mustards. So... Just like we did with the sausage, you have to show people what to do with it. So now we're doing recipes that involve the mustard, and it's been really successful. And now you're working on a cookbook. I am working on a cookbook. All these recipes and things that I've been working on, it just kind of evolved. Initially, I was just trying to do little handouts so people would know what to do with the sausage. People liked it. They wanted more. They liked seeing it on TV. So here we are. So I'm doing a cookbook. It's been a labor of love, but I'm enjoying it.
0: Well, I just can't wait to see what you're going to do next. And when you're looking to the future, what are some of the things that you would like to see coming down the pike? I would love to see our condiment line
3: with a national distribution. That's my goal. I'm not going to say I would like to. I'm looking forward to seeing it.
0: And um doing some other things. Well, you know I'm your big fan. Wherever you're going, I'm following. Aw, oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. I got you. <laughs> that was Julie Vocresson of Vocrason Sausage Company. Learn more at Vocrason That's it for this week's edition of Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Catch up on previous editions of Louisiana Eats on poppytooker.com, where over a decade of Louisiana Eats is available for pod and webcasting, along with recipes and cooking class videos, too. And don't forget to rate us on your preferred podcast platform. Louisiana Eats is made possible with major support from Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen, Louisiana Fish Fry, Crystal Hot Sauce, Rouse's Markets, Visit the North Shore, and Camellia Beans, celebrating their centennial with an innovative new product, Beans for Two. Camellia's new red beans for two and white beans for two include everything needed to cook two authentically seasoned bowls of beans, scaled for today's smaller households. Learn more at camelliabrand.com and from D'Agostino Pasta, celebrating our culture with fleur de lis, crawfish, and alligator shaped pastas. All handcrafted in Louisiana just as it's been done in Sicily for centuries. Visit D'AgostinoPasta.com to learn more. And if you're ready to get your Halloween started, Save Our Cemeteries has some fun for you. Join us at 6.30 p.m. on Wednesday, October 11th at Metairie Cemetery when I'll be sharing all my favorite haunted restaurant stories. Tickets are $15 and there's a reception and book signing to follow. For more information, visit SaveOurCemeteries.org. Original theme music composed by David Palmerlo and performed by Johnny Sketch and the Dirty Notes. Big thanks to senior producer Joe Schreiner, producers Blake Longlinet and Steve Himmelfarb, with writing contributions from Becky Retz. And to our business manager and social media maven, Maddie Mulladoo. Catch up with us anytime on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, too. Louisiana Eats is a production of Poppy Tooker Broadcasting.